Hey, welcome to Behind the Drive Shortcuts. My name is Douglas McLean, and our special guest is Matt Weidinger. Matt is a 28-year-old Kitchener, Ontario native, and he's a passionate songwriter who is well-known for his mature rock and soul vocals and impressive multi-instrumental talent. He plays organ and guitar. So, um, yeah. So, um, I'm going to start by saying, you know, I've been hoping to talk to you for a while. A friend of mine raves about your shows, and he suggested uh, quite a while back that I reach out to you. And my schedule was so full that I just never had an opportunity. And then when I saw you were playing here at uh, Peter's Players come May, I thought, no, now's the opportunity. (laughs) So uh, it's a great privilege for me to meet you. And uh, so I'm hoping to get to know you a bit through this conversation. So welcome. Uh, It's a great pleasure to meet you as well. Yeah. So I tried to find out a little bit about you. And unfortunately, I can't seem to get... I couldn't seem to get much information on your background. Um, so would you mind filling in our audience a little bit about your your development and progress as a musician? Yeah, for sure. Well, I started playing uh, piano when I was a kid and did that for a little bit. And then I kind of switched over to guitar at one point because I thought that would be cooler. And then this was like you know, early teens, I started playing guitar and, you know, getting into high school and bands starting up. And I realized there's way too many guitar players, not too many, <laughs> but like there was a lot of guitar players. There's a lot, yeah. So I decided, oh, I'll give the bass a try and I'll start playing some piano again because I had the, you know, the foundations down of what I could do on the piano. Right. And then it just kind of took off from there. I ended up meeting some people in high school and playing in the stage bands and then through the local Kitchener music scene. I, uh, one of my pals in elementary school and high school, his mom was uh, Cheryl Lescom. I don't know if you know Cheryl, but no. she's just fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so Cheryl was a large part in me connecting with other musicians and kind of saw what I wanted to do and the music I liked and connected me with some of the right people in town, which allowed me to start getting out and playing gigs at bars and stuff when I was in high school. And, uh, from there, I, I got involved with the Kitchener Blues Fest. They have given me a lot of great opportunities. Oh, okay. And yeah. uh, and it just kind of kept growing from there to an extent. I was able to meet Lance Anderson through the Kitchener Blues Fest. And Lance has been just great to work with. I've learned so much from him. Get to be part of his shows. And, you know, he does the, the Joe Cocker show. Together now we have the Matchadash Parish, which we write our own music in. And... Uh, and yeah, so like since I started playing in high school and doing those bars, it just kept trying to learn more and, and started writing my own music at one point. And I just kind of looked at it all as like, a am going to have a long road to do this, so I don't need to really rush anything. I want to learn as much as I can and I want to have fun doing it and, and just keep growing as a musician and an artist. Right. So you tour all over... Ontario primarily right like you or do you actually go farther afield do you go um I have gone farther with different projects like uh a couple years ago haven't been going very far lately but a couple years ago (laughs) I uh I went out with Lance and we uh we went out west to do some of uh the last waltz shows he puts on the music of the band right and maybe five or six or more years ago I played keyboards for a while with Lee Aaron 
And uh, oh, so I got to go do some festivals and some theater gigs with her out yeah. west as well. So, yeah, a little bit of playing out of the province, but not too much. No. Primarily in Ontario so far. Now, are you primarily known for your uh, cover work or are you more known for your songwriting? Because uh, certainly I want to talk to you about the album Breakage because there's some very wonderful songs in there. And at least one oh, thank cover, you. one cover I know of for sure, but on the album. But uh, I want to ask you about that. But like, do you concentrate more? On, so let me go backwards. Then, how many albums do you actually have out? Do because I I could only find two. Is there more than that out there? I right when I got out of high school, I, I had a band called Lumberjunk, okay. and uh, that was kind of more of a almost deep purple monster truck style, right? Kind of hard rock with. The Hammond featured as well. So we put out two EPs as that band and then parted ways. And then, yeah, I've had two albums under my own name and I kind of been piecing together music over the, you know, the COVID break here, yeah. recording all the instruments at home in the basement right. putting together. I've released a couple singles like that. So I'm just trying to figure out what I want to do with those next. But uh, yeah, you asked about, am I better known for the covers or the original stuff? And at this point, I don't really know. I think when I first started playing out, as I imagine a lot of artists do, you you can get the work in the bars, and the yeah, work in the bars exactly. is to entertain the people who exactly, are there. Yeah. So I always liked more of the vintage music, Joe Cocker and Steve Winwood and stuff like that. So I think I got a bit of a name, or people started to recognize me as maybe the person who played the organ or liked the Joe Cocker, the Ray Charles stuff. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people still associate me with that, which I'm, you know, that's fine. I, I love that music. Right. And then, but out of that, I started playing more, trying to focus more on my original music. So I, I would hazard to guess that most of the people who might know me would know me either from Lance's shows or the Kitchener Blues Fest or the bar work I've done in the past or the, the different pubs and stuff like right. that. Yeah. So I, I, I do know there's some people out there who uh, who said, oh, we've heard your albums and we love them. But uh, I think it's sometimes that first reaction people get when they, you know, first see you or the first couple of years that kind of sticks with them. So yeah. I, I would, yeah, I, I, that would be my guess at this point. Okay. And I'm, I'm kind of fine with whatever. I like doing it all. Yeah. So, you know. Well, let's focus a little bit just on the show you're doing here. So May 21st at Peter's Players. And uh, yeah. there you're being, they're, they're advertising it as the music of Van Morrison as, the, you know, presented by Matt Wedeger. How, how, how do I pronounce your name, Matt? Because I'm not sure if I've got it. I'm pronouncing it Wedinger. Is it that right? Or It's very close. Uh, Widinger. Widinger. Okay. I apologize. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, no, no trouble. Yeah. Yeah, so Peter's Players on uh, May 21st, the tickets are on sale, and they're saying this is a show of uh, music of Van Morrison. Are you going to be doing some originals there as well, or is it No, just... this is a show I actually, you know, got the idea from from being part of Lance's show. Okay. I, you know, I watched how Lance put these together, and like I said, we did the Joe Cocker show and and the the last Walt show, and, and I've always loved Van Morrison, and... I took a look around and I didn't see very many Van Morrison shows going on. Yeah. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to take a crack at this and try to write some horn charts and put together my own show doing this music, which I've been doing for the last four or five years now, which is just a blast. So really? it's just another outlet. And 
you know, get to get up there on stage and celebrate that music from all those years ago. And right. so, yeah, that's that's what we're doing up at Peter's Players. And it's always a great time. Are you bringing a band uh, with you for that? Yeah, that's a, I kind of based this show off of my favorite early 70s live recordings of Van Morrison. Now, oh, okay. I can't afford to have a string section, but yeah. so the band is features two keyboard players, me being one of them. Um, I also play some guitar in that. And then we've got a guitar player, bass, drums, and two horns, right. trumpet and saxophone. Right. So I think it's uh, referred to as the Caledonia Soul Orchestra. Right. So yeah. this is kind of an era of Van Morrison where he would take yeah, different songs, like what was going on at the time in the early 70s and yeah. write different arrangements for them or someone would. So yeah. it's got a bit more of a soul and a... Uh, I wouldn't say a big band because there's only two horns. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's got all these live arrangements are the same songs, but they just kind of take on their own thing right. from concert to concert. So I've tried to capture that feel, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it could be exciting. And I mean, his catalog is so rich. I mean, and yet that period, you know, uh, St. Dominic's Review, that that whole period there, Moondance and those, I mean, those were, you know, he had a lot of... Uh, horn parts and things like that. Do, do you mind sharing a couple of the songs? You're not going to do anything from Astral Weeks, are you? <laughs> oh, yeah, we do two songs. Oh, really? <laughs> wow. Yeah, Astral Weeks is one of my favorite. That and Veed and Fleece is my favorite. Oh, right, Veed yeah. yeah. People aren't as familiar with, so yeah. like, we've done one song off of Veed and Fleece. But yeah, we do We do a great uh, version, of, well, in my opinion, of Sweet Thing that right. I've taken kind of the idea off of a live arrangement where it's yeah. one of the... Uh, go off on a little tangent but i'll make it quick one of the things i like about this era of van morrison is that the music is very free you know they've got a basic structure of the songs but it really seems like inspired in the moment playing which i've tried to capture with these guys that i've been playing with for a while now so everybody's got we've all got boundaries but there's sections for instance in sweet thing where it's been improvised every time we've played it on stage. So oh, we've got an idea of what's going on. And then based off of what everyone else does, we're all yeah. reacting in the moment to try to capture that feeling. Oh, know? yeah. That's... We do Young Lovers Do, yeah. uh, Warm Love. That's not off Astro Weeks. No, that's off. Uh, Jackie for... Wilson said. Yeah. Warm Warm Love yeah. is off of Moondance, isn't it? I can't remember. No, it's off uh, of Jackie. I think Warm Love is off of Hard Nose to the Highway. That's right. Well, actually, I was going to ask you about that because one of my favorite Van Morrison songs of all times is Snow and Sand and Sand. Oh, yeah. Isn't that a, that's a little bizarro. I love it, though. I just love that song. I don't know why it hammered me. I was a big fan of his, you know, when he was... And I was totally in love with uh, Tupelo Honey. I just couldn't get enough of that album. And then, yeah, that's a great one. Just too. to digress a bit, one of my favorite albums of his is No Guru, No Method, No Teacher. Do you know that one? I mean, that came in. Oh, the, that's a good one as well. That's in the eighties, right? But that's where he got so personal about, um, you know, his spiritual search, which is something he he doesn't, you know, he never really chatted about, and he's. He's known as such a curmudgeon now, you know, yeah. in terms of, that's exciting. That must be so much fun. And, and so the show is just, and how do you manage to, uh, uh, because your voice is, doesn't seem, do you try to change your voice or bend your voice to his styling or do you just do it in your vocal style? Uh, it's a tough thing. I've thought about this a lot. Like I think subconsciously, uh, I probably throw in a couple of vanisms here and there. Yeah. I don't try to put on a character, but right. 
I kind of consider everybody's vocals, like everybody's singing has to be a melting pot of their influences yeah, in one sure. way or another. Yeah. At least I think so. So yeah. I've listened to these songs so many times. So there are little vanisms that come out, but I don't really try to put on that voice. I try no. to get into that mind frame, I think. Because again, with the live versions of these songs, he's he doesn't sing them the same twice. It's, no. it's just this great, the song is the vehicle and you've got free reign to... Yeah again what you're doing in the moment what what you feel so yeah. that's what really what i like about it is here we've got this platform and i can sing parts different i could you know take a little bit from that live recording that always makes me smile when he sings something a little you know not off but you know how he gets into those things yeah well he did he's... that scat he does that scat singing that's i don't even know if it's true scat singing but you know blah, 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 blah. like he's sort of vocalizing a horn part or something right that's, yeah, that's, that's it. It's what do they call it? There's a well, it's called um, scat scat singing, or because uh, Elephus. Yeah, the, I'm trying to think of. There's a, a a phrase people use with this kind of performance where they're like, they just completely lose themselves, and, yeah. and it's uh, um, yeah, I can't think of it. It'll come yeah, to me. Sometime. Yeah, well, I mean, Alice Fitzgerald made it famous, to, you know, way back in the '40s. I mean, she could sing a, an instrument part, you know, and she would be basically using her voice as if it was an instrument and uh it's so exciting yeah well that's that's amazing that must be you know you'd come away from a show like that kind of because uh, he's a master class songwriter as well right do you find your songwriting influenced by these kinds of shows do you uh, uh to an it... extent I, I one thing i've tried to work on with my songwriting is like is trying to find my own color as i would put yeah, it. you know sure. it's I, I've in the past I've gone oh I, I'd like to write a song like that or I'd like to write a song like this and so I maybe to my own hindrance I've you know purposely tried to oh I don't want this to be like oh well that song sounds like this like yeah. I just there's lots of bands out there that I like that I feel like are still influenced by other people but they always sound like like Super Tramp always sounds like Super Tramp to right me, you know yeah, yeah. there's certain bands like that and I, I I think that's a real noble thing to achieve when some and doesn't mean everyone's going to like it, but just that you have your own sound. So I've been working and pining away at trying to get my own sound, which is yeah, uh, it's probably going to be a, a forever journey. But there's definitely moments though when I come off of one of those Van Morrison shows where I go, Oh, that song always feels great on stage, or I just love this. Maybe I should use that as a bit of an inspiration. But well, I, I, I try think not to copy and paste. sure. Well, I think too, you know, the thing is that you know, his chord progressions are not that, you know, demanding. There's some, you know, he uses some interesting chord progressions, but he keeps them pretty much, uh, that's what makes him so such a genius. He seems to find melodies in, you know, three or four chord progressions. Yet, uh, But then, of course, once his arrangements are done, they just pop right off the... The record, right? It's pretty astounding. Yeah. And his lyric, and, of and course, even him himself, he's got that thing. I think where it always sounds like Van Morrison. And yeah, exactly. Don't like yeah, yeah. Van right. Morrison's voice, and but it it's always got that Van Morrison touch, and it always feels like yeah. him, which is, I think, yeah, yeah. Such well, such a great thing. For yeah. Well, I would submit that your the album that I know Breakage certainly sounds like you. I mean, it sounds like its own voice in there. There's something. 
of its own. So you've already achieved something. <laughs> be interesting to oh, see how you, you develop. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, I, I I like the album quite a bit. There's there's a lot. Actually, I when I first started thinking about you as a possible um, candidate for you know to interview for this show, I I found a song on Bandcamp, but I couldn't. It's I just blew my socks off. But then I couldn't seem to re- find it again. Or I, I guess I heard it differently, right? So I just got the album to give me a point of reference. Um, you seem to be writing slightly different now, t- too. The couple of singles that you've put out seem different than the sound on Breakage. But we'll concentrate on Breakage for a moment. just to. So that came yeah. out when? At the end of 2020? Or whereabouts did it come out? Yeah, that album was released right basically at the start okay, of, the uh, of COVID. Yeah which was uh, March or so. Yeah. I think it was released March in March. 14th, I think it was. was. Yeah. yeah, March 2020. Oh, yeah, yeah. I yeah. have to think, yeah. Right at the very beginning. And uh, and now, can you walk us through that project a bit? Like, when did you start uh, uh, writing the songs um, for it? Probably and... about a year before that. I, I had, uh, I wanted to do another album, and I, so I gave myself this goal of like, okay, Mondays and Tuesdays, you're going to try to go without your phone and like no outside, no outside media. Right. So you can practice, you can write, you can record. And at this point I was starting to get more into making demos, playing all the instruments by myself. Like I've got house here in Kitchener and the basement set up like somewhat of a studio Okay. in the sense that I can record instruments and mix them and, and do what I want with it. So these Mondays and Tuesdays were, trying to keep me away from distraction and, and just do whatever I could musically to, yeah, try to get into the zone to write and just stay focused. Mm-hmm. So out of that came those songs where right. I would, you know, make demos and keep working on them and then eventually send them to the musicians I've been playing with, with Mark McIntyre on bass and Ben Rollo on drums and then get their opinion. And then we get together and play through them. And it kind of just got hashed out like that. Right. And then you played all the other parts as well, right? I guess like Yeah, for for that recording when we went into the studio, like for the original demos, I'd play the drums, I'd play the bass, I'd right. do everything and then Oh, you did it at Union guys. Sound, I see. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. then when we went to the studio, uh Ben was playing the drums and Mark was on the bass and then I'd play everything else around it. Mhm. Yeah. Well, it's got a great sound and uh I was it, it it covers a lot of territory too. I mean, in terms of uh, sort of sonics, right? So, would you have you ever tried to classify your what kind of songwriter you are, or what kind of style you're writing in? Uh, have you ever? <laughs> yeah, no, not really. I, just, I have a hard time doing that. Yeah, I can I just I just try to write and sound like me. So yeah, that's well. why I bring up. Bands like yeah, like yeah. Super Tramp or, right. or you know My Morning Jackets, another newer band that exactly, I like because yeah. they just sound like them. Yeah, yeah. You can hear influences here and there, but is it rock? Is it pop? I yeah. don't really know. Well, you know, you're, you're probably gonna like it or you're not. <laughs> it's alternative singer songwriter or something. Yeah, I mean the thing yeah. is, uh, you know, I I just saw an amazing documentary um, about how. Uh, they wrote 
you know, they did albums. You know, in the old days, like in the 60s, 70s and that, they took more time and there was a producer there. So, you know, you, as a songwriter, you'd bring the songs in, but they'd work and work and work until they just shaped that sound that it became so uniquely uh, associated with that particular record or whatever. But now the songwriter has to do most of that work, right? You didn't have a producer on this, I don't think, right? No, there wasn't enough money for a producer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so you have to do That's it all. That's the difference. Yeah. It's the difference between now and then, right? There's no record companies either, I guess, right? Is there really one? Uh, I guess there are, and there are producers out there who do fine work. I guess yeah. I just... Uh, what I want to avoid in my career to some extent or another is getting an, an opinion from someone or, or being swayed subconsciously by someone who's trying to make something sound more commercial or appeal to more people, which yeah. could sound ridiculous in a business sense, because why wouldn't you want to appeal to more people? Yeah. But I, I just feel like in that journey to find my own voice and, and keep learning and working on it, I. I uh, I don't have much interest in that. I think there's enough people out there trying to get as many people as possible to listen to them by any means necessary. So why join that race when I could spend my life learning more about myself and learning more about what kind of sounds and colors I can make with my own brain, you know? Right, exactly. And now do you, um, do you study you know, different kinds of approaches or are there kinds of certain kinds of musicians that you go back to to kind of warm up your chops, you know, to get ready for songwriting sessions or do you just go at it and play from your own? Uh, it depends. Sometimes I get struck with an idea, like whether I want to or not, mm -hmm. I'll, something will pop into my head. Other times I'll get myself to sit down and just start working on something. Right. Uh, but there are definitely artists that, usually remind me of that feeling that I was trying to describe. Like there's a guy named Richard Swift oh, yeah. who was a producer. Uh, he produced, you know, that album by Nathaniel Radeliff guy yeah. uh, song I, called son of a bitch. And uh, uh, it was a, a couple of years ago, but very soul, very almost Motown. And uh, he played this Richard Swift played key, uh, played played bass with the black keys and oh right yeah and he writes his own music as well but he's one of these guys like i aspire to be who plays all the uh instruments on his albums right and uh when i hear that i and listen to the songs he writes which sometimes are like he'll write these great ballads he'll write these kind of spacey tunes and then he'll have a song on an album that sounds like a 1960s garage rock song like right. the kingsman or something like right that, <laughs> where it's sounds like distorted drums you know that are all tube compressed and yeah and it, you know with kind of throwaway fun lyrics and i just think oh yeah nothing it doesn't matter like yeah. when i look at anything through too fine of a scope i just i could pick it right apart to the point of well what's the point of doing this why are you doing this you yeah. know yeah. but i've got these artists like richard swift or again like super tramp that inspire me who feel like they came up they you know they persevered and they they had their own sound and 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 it's it's very unique and it's to them and and that inspires me to write music because yeah. i want to find my own voice and i want to you know document it to an extent and share it yeah well i mean supertramp was so unique weren't they i mean the talents there the combination of instruments you know i have a funny personal connection with them because i i grew up in sudbury and i had a friend of mine charlie vance 
and he was a radio DJ there, and I used to hang out. He did the late, the overnight show. In the old days, you know, you had a DJ who did a show from 11 o'clock till uh, 7 in the morning, right, before the morning the guys witching came. hours. Yeah, <laughs> and I used to go and hang out with him, and the, the radio was so different in those days, and... Uh, and uh, we had a lot of fun, but he ended up being the road manager for Supertramp. And I saw I saw Supertramp in concert, and I hung out with him there, right? So, and uh, oh, very cool. What year would that have been? Oh, that's like seventy two. It was right when they were doing um, what was their big album, uh, Crime, of, Crime the of the Century, right? When they were out on that tour, they were like they toured for almost two years endlessly. And uh, how he ever got connected with them, I'll never know. But uh, anyway, there he was. <laughs> and uh, oh, that's so cool. yeah, that's a pretty cool story. And uh, they were they were incredible, of course, in concert. And I don't even do they do concerts anymore. I don't even think they like. I, no, I think there was all... a falling out between Roger Hodgson and and what is his Rick Davies yeah. years ago. Yeah, yeah, I think. Roger Hodgson decided he wanted to leave the band in the early 80s or so to be more of a family guy, you know? Yeah. But Rick wanted to keep going. And so there's been little feuds over the songwriting credits and who's allowed to sing whose songs. Right. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It always gets down to business, right? Or numbers and money, I mean. Yeah. And they were, you know, such a unique story, just to digress. I mean, you know, because they basically had a venture capitalist that gave them a million dollars and said, go out and create hits. Yeah. The Dutch guy, right? Yeah. Isn't that a wild story? (laughs) Jeez. Yeah. And they, you know, they got a couple albums out. And I love looking up, like, I've always been a. Yeah research guy with bands i like so i'll find any live footage i'll go on wikipedia or whatever read books because i just find it so interesting so yeah playing in the bars there's some great early footage of them must be 67 or 68 where roger hodgson's actually playing bass right and they're doing this long jam version of all along the watchtower yeah (laughs) Yeah. and it sounds nothing like the future super tramp yeah how they ever create discovered that sound you know ding 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 like it's you know it brings back a lot of memories oh yeah i got my whirly right beside (laughs) yeah there you go yeah amazing now do you are you going to do a super tramp show at some point that would be really fascinating nobody's done that i I would love if i had to pick one more show to put together i don't know if i could sell it i got to keep business in mind you know but i'm my favorite band of all time has got to be the kinks oh really Really? 65 to 73 yeah. era Kinks. Yeah. But and they, I know, I've listened to those albums in and out. I've charted the songs. I've figured out the parts. I've recorded some songs here by myself yeah. for fun. Like, yeah. like Village Green, Preservation Society, all that stuff. I just, that's another great example of a band where I feel like uh, maybe to their own detriment, they did exactly what they wanted to. And, and uh, I just find that so beautiful and inspiring and, and yeah, yeah they are inspirational and you know you you keep stumbling across um, of course i was nuts about them in the you know uh early what was their song you know you you got you really got me in that period and i lost touch a bit with them after uh, oh gosh i forgot the name of the album but then i i somebody played me a song waterloo something what is it or waterloo sunset yeah yeah and that blew me away i thought what an incredible song and uh 
you know, you can do that. I've seen guys do that, like stripped down to just like an acoustic guitar and, oh, just break your heart. That's <laughs> so great. Well, let's... Yeah, let's... that's got to be one of my top favorite songs of all time. Really? Wow. That's so fascinating. Hey, welcome to Behind the Drive Shortcuts. My name is Douglas McLean, and our special guest is Matt Whitinger. Matt is a 28-year-old Kitchener, Ontario native, and he's a passionate songwriter who is well known for his mature rock and soul vocals and impressive multi-instrumental talent. He plays organ and guitar. Now let's talk about your album Breakage because, and I unfortunately I don't know your your debut album. And there was quite a spread between them, right? The first one came out in seventeen, I think, and then so you took some time to get the second one together. Um, it's it's got such a beautiful sound on it, and the song that caught my attention right away was Step Out. And do you mind uh, walking through a couple of the songs with us and just sort of share? Some sure. of uh, the creative insight, what you, what inspired you, maybe or whatever it was. So, Step Out's got a, it's such a beautiful song, uplifting right away, and it catches your ear, and it's just one of those songs you want to listen to over and over again. Can you tell us a little bit about that song? Yeah, that song kind of came from, I guess, just spinning around in the old head and thinking, you know, sometimes you just want to break out of the shell you're in and, and yeah. kind of i imagine it like when they shoot the uh the astronauts into space and just the great unknown you know yeah. and uh and just kind of once i get an idea like that i just kind of try to let the words flow out of me and and then come up with a color uh with the instruments that i feel reflect it and that one again it does have its uplifting qualities but the overall tone can feel a little bit dark based off of the chords sometimes. Really? You know? I, yeah, I didn't. Can... And that's one that I started as more of a, not a ballad, but not as bouncy as it is on the record. And then I thought, I, I, I'll i think about artists that I like. Again, not trying to copy and paste, but I think, oh, I love Leon Russell. Yeah. So yeah. Leon Russell's got this piano octave thing that he does where he goes, bump, 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 yeah. bump. And I yeah. thought, okay, I could write a, a riff around that. Right. And that could have a kind of driving, you know, yeah. force to the song. Right. Now, are, do you, when you do that, are you doing that with one hand? Are you using both hands to do that sort of movement? Or I'm no, only. I just do it with one hand, my left hand going from my bump. pinky to my thumb. Thumb, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, I have to ask you about going to California on breakage because I was so yeah. surprised by that. When I first listened to it, I said, that's not the. I said, is he going to try to do Led Zeppelin's song and then I said when I listened to it first time through I said well it's not Led Zeppelin is it I mean I couldn't identify it you did such a an interesting job of masking it now is that the only are all the songs yours except that one or there's is there other ones uh no the rest of them I wrote yeah and so why did you choose going to California can I ask uh yeah I I I chose that one because sometimes I'll think about songs like Back when we were playing more, uh, we'd go do certain, you know, certain shows. If you're playing original music, you have like a set, right? right. There'll be a couple bands yeah. and you'll yeah. do a set of 45 minutes or an hour. And other times you got to fill the night, right? Right. So in the past, I would play a cover song 
and then I play one of my originals and sometimes there would be this feel like this drastic jump between the two like uh well that didn't you know you play feeling all right by Joe Cocker and then you yeah. play a song that I had wrote and, and it kind of throws the audience back and forth like right. it's not uh how would I put it it doesn't feel like you're on you're doing the same thing right a little jump back and forth too much so what I would do for those gigs where we'd have to play longer shows is I would try to think of songs that I liked and then how could I kind of change them up to try to suit the vibe of the original music better. So it would still be the song. So still the same chords, still the same lyrics, but to put my own flavor on it. Yeah. So that's something that just kind of came out by playing around on the Hammond organ and, uh, and trying it out at venues and and people seemed to like it and it seemed to kind of one of those versions where we could start it like sometimes i'd start with an organ intro sometimes i just start with that bass going back and forth on the yeah. octaves and yeah. uh and it seemed to catch people's attention and kind of suck all the air out of the room for a yeah. second okay what, what are they doing up there this yeah. is, we're paying attention you know? yeah. so that's always a handy trick to have on stage as absolutely. well absolutely well i've been told many times by other artists you know the quieter you are the more effective you are as a which surprises me you know uh, so I'd kind of draw people in now can i ask in in going to california are you using some specific scale there I was trying to understand it i thought i heard something modal in there or something um uh, it could be sometimes i don't even know what i'm playing oh, yeah. i, I, I yeah. can hear i keep going back to the word color because yeah. i feel like there's something in my brain that maybe sees something a bit different than right. some people and yeah. uh so i'll hear things in albums and then i'll think okay yeah that's that color so yeah. if i can okay through just playing it by ear i'll i'll, I'll find stuff so if it doesn't sound too dissonant sometimes yeah. i want it to sound dissonant, sure then uh you know, I'll go for that. Now, uh, when you say color, do you actually identify specific colors, like from the spectrum, or do you, do you mean it more as, uh, you know, just giving it shape? Uh, I don't describe, like, I don't see it as an actual color, like right. this this kind of thing is yellow or this is brown, yeah. but okay. more so that's the easier way for me to describe it, how I can feel it. Right. Like, how, how I hear it, how it sits and registers with yeah, me. Yeah, that's it. You know, Morning Comfort starts it all off. And uh, yeah. is there something specific you could share with us about that a song, maybe? Yeah, that's one of those ones where I woke up in the morning and I just felt like, oh, you know, what the hell am I doing? What am I doing with my life? What are right. these decisions I'm making? Not that it was anything even at the time that I was doing wrong or whatnot. It's just... You know the manic back and forths that can happen if you don't keep an eye on things. Right. Yeah, and I, I just, you know, I thought, what are you thinking about? What are you, you know? And I, so I tried to take that general idea, and uh, and add some mystery around it, and then try to get that feeling across with those lyrics and and those chords and that vibe in that song. Right. Yeah. Now, um, now, do you, you you work full time as a musician? Do you not? Like, uh, or do I do. You, yeah. So, yeah. So, it, you know that the, it can be stressful. Do you do other types of things other than gigging? Like, do you do studio work and uh, any? Teaching? Yeah, I do session work. I get sent tracks sometimes, and I'll put piano or Hammond or right. whatever on it. And do the back and forth over the internet. Yeah. Or. Uh, and I play like there's a band in town I play with 
who we, we do like weddings and corporate oh, gigs. Oh, right. Yeah, sure. So yeah. there's just kind of, uh, there's a bunch of different jobs I could do with music, but yeah. they're all around music. I got, in the last couple of years, I started, I have a large collection of Hammond organs and vintage keyboards that I've acquired over the years. Really? So, yeah, I've got eight Hammond organs. <laughs> Where do you keep them? <laughs> I have a detached garage. I can imagine. And I have three in the house. Yeah. You know, so I rent those out to festivals or, or right. the, you know, oh, different cool. uh, venues sometimes or artists. I'll deliver it. Yeah. I found out how to get it in and out of my minivan. And, and do you have the Leslie's for them as well? Do you, like, do you, yeah, I've got a, a handful of Leslie's as well. <laughs> you know, I worked with a guy in a band and he had a Hammond and we always like, you know, offloading and on, like, especially when we were like, on the road like doing one nighters right we just hated this guy because we'd be all wore out after a gig we'd all like lug all his junk in because we didn't have we didn't have like you know the Hammond in that day in back in the 70s you know they had wheels do they still have wheels on them you know you'd you'd take the wheels off when you got them on stage or somehow they flattened out but then we yeah, they're to... ca it's called a roller carry dolly. <laughs> yeah, a roll or carry, <laughs> and I've got I've gotten two sets of those oh by chance over the years. But yeah. uh, they're very hard to find. They yeah. sell them in the states. But they're yeah. pretty expensive. It's a brilliant design, though. It works perfectly. Yeah. Now, with do you mind asking? Can I ask you a bit about Hammond's? Because what Hammond has two uh, keyboards or three? Is it what? Which one has three? Is that uh, the well, the Hammond or? organ has two. We call them manuals, which right. is basically a keyboard. Right. So the top and the bottom, and uh, two sets of draw bars for each manual, which are draw bars are what produces the sound, right? Or lets you control the sound rather, uh, which are kind of emulating the different lengths of pipe you would have on an organ in a church, right. you know? Right. And yeah, I, I don't. Well, I got fascinated with the Hammond organ. Uh, Cheryl Lescom again brought me out to a local bar that they had a like a blues jam on where teens right. could get up and play and there was a guy there named John Lee and John Lee uh, you know I'm great friends with now he's been a big mentor when it comes to playing the Hammond organ he played with Dutch Mason and Matt right, Englewood yeah. and those guys but he was part of the house band here so I was thinking you know 16 or something and I come into this bar and and there's this big chunk of wood on stage and there's something spinning in the background. And there's, what the hell is that? Yeah. Well, that's a Hammond organ and a Leslie speaker. Right. And I was just completely fascinated with it. So yeah, that's where it first caught my attention. Yeah. Well, I mean, they are an incredible instrument and, uh, you know, especially for, you know, a bigger rock band. Well, the band we were in at the time, we were trying to emulate the Allman brothers. So, we had that sound, but we wrote a lot of songs around that too because he, this guy was a classically trained musician, right? So he was doing Bach and, you know, everything on this thing. That's oh, wonderful. Yeah, so, yeah, fascinating. So, yeah, that I can see then that would also, that's, you might have that deep purple feel for things too. But now, guys, don't they just do sampling or emulate them? They just take a little keyboard and just you know, run a patch through it. You you don't want to yeah, do that. Yeah, they do that. I have one of those Nord keyboards that yeah. does, a, I think, the best Hammond uh, sound you can get in a keyboard. Yeah. But, yeah, it's not the same for me. Yeah, like, yeah. It's, it, it's, most people wouldn't notice, but it's, it's like driving a vintage car, I, I imagine, or something so, yeah. like that. 
And it feels great being up on stage and having this big chunk of wood that you can't even knock over if you try. <laughs> so it, yeah, it feels like a little space station. Yeah, well, you're well protected behind one. Are, are you bringing it uh, with you to uh, Peter's Players? I guess it's part of your show. Well, luckily, they have one up there. Oh, but usually so, I would throw it back yeah. of the Dodge Caravan and yeah. make my way up there with it rolling around in the back. Do you include chest fever on uh, when you're out in your gigs? Do you play that when you... Would, uh... Because that's the yeah, famous one the from the band. That, that gives me an opportunity to, Garth, to get my Garth hat on. Yeah. Because I always, again, I got through a bunch of different versions of them yeah. playing Chess Fever. And his intros are always, yeah. you catch a couple of fugues in there and maybe yeah. a sea shanty or two. And it just takes you on this trip. So oh, he was so, like, so free. Wasn't he free? I mean, he just, whatever. Oh, yeah. Free and just so educated. Yeah. Just so yeah. many, yeah. so much knowledge of music yeah. in that man. Did, isn't, doesn't he live in Kitchener? I thought he was there somewhere, um, but maybe uh, not. He might have at some point. No, yeah. he, I think he lives, does he live in Oh, maybe London. London he's still yeah. in Ontario as yeah. far as I know. Yeah. Well, I think he's in an old age or nursing home now. He's not well. But uh, So let's let's talk about one more song so I won't take up any more of your time because we try to, this is a 45-minute show, so we try to feature some of the songs and we'll focus on the album, I guess. Unless, is there one of the singles that you'd like me to, uh, the one of the more oh, recent Oh, yeah, if singles. you don't mind, I'd love talking about one of my new songs. Okay, sure, go ahead. I don't know them very well, but I will I have Bandcamp here, just, and I was Yeah, wondering. well, I'll give you an introduction, and then you can let me know what you think after. Okay. This uh, The first song I released out of these batches is a song called He Don't Need Love. Okay. Which is uh, All right. yeah. something I pieced together over the last couple of years, and it was this idea I had, one of the things I run into songwriting, like I said is you know you, you wake up at one point and you you're feeling like this or that you're not feeling great so that's usually my inspiration to start writing about something it's easier to write from that point of view in my mind than it is to hey everything's great I'm really happy so I started off with this song and then the next day I thought oh, I don't really feel like that anymore I don't know how to finish this song now right. you know and it kind of clicked in my brain that, oh, you can write about yourself like a character. It doesn't have to be completely, well, I don't feel this way anymore. Therefore, I cannot finish this song. So it was a great learning thing for me because I thought, okay, you can look at yourself how you were feeling yesterday and now cartoonishly embellish yourself and, and write about yourself in this way and, and give yourself freedom to do that. So right. that was the goal with that song. And also to kind of, again, put myself in that the kinks music that I love where it's, less of a verse chorus verse chorus bridge and and more of a almost like an orchestral piece where the sections move in different ways and so yeah this that's the new song you don't need love is uh, on bandcamp and yep. i played all the instruments on it i yeah. played uh drums bass all the keyboards guitar saxophone and trumpet and then sang it as well and i mixed it myself as well right okay well i'll definitely uh I'll definitely get that. And uh, what about the other two? I mean, it ain't easy. Was the one I thought at first it ain't it ain't easy is the one that caught my attention. But I then I couldn't when I came back to Bandcamp and said which song should I grab? I uh, couldn't identify that one. That's the latest one, right? That's February twenty twenty. Yeah, that's the last one I put out a couple months ago. And yeah, yeah. that's that's like a one of these songs again. I picked up the guitar and I had this idea and I went, okay, yeah, this is feeling good and song that I started writing actually before the lockdown and the song kind of revolves about revolves around the idea of kind of being trapped in your own head and 
So I, it was easy to finish once I was trapped in my own house for two years, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So so uh, is it about something specific? Is it just about being trapped? What the, like the lyrics? Uh, just are... about that feeling of being stuck, I guess. And, and yeah. you know, again, I try to be honest with my songwriting if I can. I'm not going to pretend like it's nobody's, it's everyone else's fault but mine. So. Yeah. You know, uh, but yeah, just kind of getting those ideas across about feeling stuck or, yeah, not, or, or, you know, not yeah. feeling like you're connecting with anything or anyone. Sure. Now, when you uh, write a song like that, do you find it cathartic or does it help you sort of address the issue or problem you're wrestling with at all? Uh, I try. Yeah. I try to feel that way. Sometimes it, it'll feel like, okay, I can get it out of my system. Other times I feel like, oh, I don't know if I want to share that with people. What are they going to think of me now? You yeah, know? well, I don't know. I think uh, like some of the great songwriters, of course, are those that, you know, do both, give something universal, but also share something internal, personal, you know. I don't know. I, I can't wait. to. I'll, I'll pay some great attention to them. So do you want to talk a bit about Breakage, that song? Because that... That image for somehow it just really sticks with me, and I mean the cover art too for that album is uh, is pretty. Did who did the artwork for you on that? That was a, a well the photo of the the disco ball hanging on the barn ceiling was taken by Taylor Jones. Okay, and we were recording some live footage in a friend of mine's barn that's just outside of Kitchener. Okay, and I just. Taylor just saw that and, and grabbed a shot of it. And then oh, the I guy see. who designed the album cover is named Eric McBain, and he's done a lot of my artwork, and he's just great. So, yeah, yeah I just had this idea of this kind of uh, deteriorating, like, old country house that's fallen apart with the wallpaper falling off. And I had this idea rolling around in my head, this image for a while. And then when I saw that picture, the disco ball, I thought, oh, this is cool. This is, like, feels like it's... It's vintage, but it's kind of new. And against that backdrop of the yeah. in this, you know, dilapidated country house in my mind, I, I thought, oh, there's something about that. So we worked back and forth on that for a while. Again, him doing all the work, me just trying to explain my ideas. But I'm really happy with how that turned out. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it, is that it? Was that the theme you were trying to present with the overall album? That uh, something. Because the notion of breakage is also that something rejuvenates too, right? Or revitalizes. Yeah, somehow. I guess I hadn't thought about it like yeah. that. I just thought sometimes I try not to think too, like that sounds silly, not to think too deeply about it. But yeah, yeah I just, I, I get these songs together. I feel like, okay, are these are these all feeling in the same realm? And then yeah. put a stamp on it and, yeah. and describe how it's feeling. And then, you know, someone told me once that an album... If you can look at an album as just a snapshot of where you are in a certain time. place in time, that's sure. a good way of doing it. Because yeah. then you don't get trapped into anything and you can keep moving freely without feeling held Exactly, down. yeah, exactly. Well, so I try to do that. That's where I guess I was two years ago. Right. And now I'm in Somewhere. a different place. So exactly. the songs I've written over the last year that I hope to all release at some point will yeah. be where I was last year. And then I just keep moving on, you know? <laughs> yeah, they're like... They're like road signs, I guess. You're just passing them as you move to the horizon. Now, um, just one final question. You must be fairly well-versed as 
with recording as well, I guess. Like, so can I ask what you're using and things like that? Are you like, do you use, uh, you know, Pro Tools or Logic Pro? Yeah, I, what I did is I went out, I got myself this Apogee unit at one point. Oh, right. A, yeah. Well, I started with a, uh, the demos I made for Breakage was on a Apogee Quartet, which is a four input unit. Right. Okay. So what I would do is I'd put four mics on the drums, yeah. record the drums, and then unplug those, and then plug the bass into an amp, mic that up. And then mm. basically when right before COVID started, I, I got myself the Apogee Element, which is an eight channel unit. Right. And then going into Pro Tools, like you had asked, and uh, and now I had more channels to work with. And then I got another Apogee Element about a year ago, and so now I have 16 channels. So right. I'm just trying to... I think it, it can be easy sometimes when you get excited about something to go buy, you know, $2,000 microphone and this yeah. and that. And <laughs> yeah. what I try to do is learn as I go and make sensible purchases that I know I'm going to get my money out of and, and help me to get to the next point I want to. Cause I don't need $10,000 no. Norman microphones or whatever no. right now. You know, no. I, I feel like I'm, I'm learning about the recording process. I'm, I'm not going to put anything out that I don't think sounds good. And I've played for some of my music buddies who opinions I respect and say, Hey, how does this sound? And, uh, but in, I, I just keep building and getting better as I go along. Yeah. And are you using outboard gear? Like you're you using outboard compressors, like your signal chain, are you running it into sort of hardware first and then into your digital world? Or are you just, no, just, did, just digital, digital plugins at this yeah. point. Again, oh, yeah. I thought about buying that stuff, but yeah. I, I just, I, I, my opinion is if it sounds good and I'm getting the sound I want out of it, then yeah. that's going to be good enough for right now because yeah. I could easily spend a ton of money on gear that I'll never <laughs> see back through sales on Bandcamp. Well, that was, yeah, exactly. Well, you know, Shannon, uh, is a big fan of uh outboard gear hard you know so he runs his signal chain through a whole bunch of vintage uh, stuff right but i was always saying well man you could just buy a plug-in or get a plug-in for free practically and uh, well, almost and i'd love it. to have that outboard gear i just can't I can't, I can't make that decision. Yeah, well, they're expensive. I mean, holy nope. crap. Yeah, that's, you know, like you said, $50,000. You are listening to Behind the Drive Shortcuts. My name is Douglas McLean. Shortcuts is the interview portion of a show we have every Thursday night at 6 o'clock called Behind the Drive. Matt is an incredible... Uh, gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed his conversation with us here on Behind the Drive Shortcuts. Thanks so very much for listening.